RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Law Father Podcast. As always, I ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That helps us out a lot. A lot to cover here uh, as the NFL uh, season starts kind of ramping up and uh, maybe not from a football-related activities uh, type of standpoint, but in terms of the legal side and uh, things happening just kind of paralleling what's going on in normal everyday life. You know, With that, we're going to look at the Redskins and the potential name change and everything else. And as we get into this, we're going to look at it from the legal standpoint, and we're going to look at it much in the way the Supreme Court will look at things, and they're going, only going to look at the issues that they're talking about at any one given time. Uh, the Supreme Court, if it's not an issue and it's a, a periphery issue, they're not going to look at that in their analysis, and we're going to take it the same way. Uh, we're not necessarily, I'm not necessarily today going to get into whether or not the Redskins should change their name or should not change their name. Uh, it's what we would call in the legal realm beyond the scope of what we're looking at. Uh, I can tell you from one standpoint, you look at it and go, well, it's just the name. So why is it a big deal to just go ahead and change it? But then you could also look at it and go, well, it's just the name. Why is it a big deal? So you could have a full-on, multiple-hour discussion on both ends of that. Uh, like I said, for today's podcast, we're going to look at just the legal ramifications and how the Redskins and changing their name or not changing their name plays in with FedEx and Nike. And how does that all come together? So let's look at this and let's get a little bit of background on this. Nike is the official supplier for the NFL, so every team that you see has Nike. All of their jerseys and uniforms are Nike, and their practice gear is Nike, and Nike sells a lot of gear to the general public of all the different teams. FedEx, how does FedEx fit in? Well, the Redskins play at FedEx Field, and it just so happens that one of the C-level executives of FedEx is a part owner of the Redskins. So that is how all these pieces tie together. And those of you who may not have followed football as long or maybe in as much detail as this is getting right now, but the Redskins changing their name seems to come up every couple of years. Okay. Uh, this is not the first time in my lifetime that I've heard the talk of, hey, maybe the Redskins should change their name, and the owner has in the past come out and said, no, absolutely not. We're never changing it. So you know, one thing that maybe to look at and maybe beyond the scope of what we're looking at here for the podcast is you know, this talk always seems to revolve just around the Redskins. Every once in a while, Florida State Seminoles pop up, but to a lesser degree of is the Seminoles' name something that should be changed? Uh, the Cleveland Indians removed their Chief Wahoo mascot a couple years ago, replaced it with just the C, but have kept the name. And the one name that I, I've noticed, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and, and maybe it's just what I've seen and, and maybe overlooked, but have never really heard a lot of movement of change for the Atlanta Braves. So just maybe an interesting little aside there. And, and if... If I'm incorrect in that, please reach out to me, uh, lawfather at tampalawfather.com, uh, and let me know that. I'm always interested to know if there's some other talks going on uh, elsewhere in these things, uh, and 
as I was mentioning with the Atlanta Braves having not ever really heard any kind of movement to change their name. So as we look at the NFL and the Redskins and Nike and FedEx and where all of that plays in, I hear a lot about, well, FedEx is really putting the pressure on the Redskins to change their name. It, it could have a, a, an impact on them financially. Nike has removed all of the Washington Redskins apparel from their website. You can't go buy Washington Redskins apparel on the Nike website. They're putting it to the Redskins from a financial standpoint. And I think legally you could have some issues there. So when we're looking at these things, FedEx has the naming rights to the field, FedEx field. Now, along with that comes a contract. And they're under contract to make some sort of payments to the Redskins. Now, whether that payment is in installments or FedEx has made that payment in full, okay, that's there. That's a contract. And I don't think it's enough to go and say, well, the name Redskins is repulsive, so therefore FedEx has a leg to stand on to put pressure on them. Because here's the problem with that. The Redskins name existed prior to FedEx naming the field. FedEx entered into a contract full well knowing what the team name was and didn't have any objection to it at the time. Or if they did have any objection to it, they ignored that objection on their part and they went ahead and signed a contract anyway to put their name on the field. Now, when seemingly it's a popular thing to do, okay, and not saying... Like I said, I'm not getting into what the right or wrong is in terms of whether the name should be changed. Looking at it from a purely legal standpoint, FedEx is saying, well, hey, now you need to change the name. Well, could they pull their name from the stadium? I suppose so. Does that benefit them? Because they have a contract, and by all intents and purposes, just by having the name the Redskins, it does not put the the Washington football team in, in breach of that contract. Like I said before, FedEx knew the name of the team. The name of the team has been around for years. This isn't a surprise that this is the team name. So therefore, you can't really say that whatever the entity is that is the official contracting entity entity for the Washington Redskins, that they did anything underhandedly in getting FedEx to sign a contract and that, that the football team is not in breach of that contract. So that's where I see that going, that would be the legal analysis and the legal standpoint on that. I don't think FedEx really has the ability to put any any kind of financial pressure on them. And I think actually, conversely, the Redskins could put pressure on FedEx in terms of not breaching an agreement. So that is the FedEx analysis. Now, let's look at Nike because it, kind of a curious thing, and I understand where Nike's coming from. Hey, we're not going to let this team profit from having their merchandise on our website. Well, here's a, here's a couple of ways to look at it. The Washington Redskins football organization, it's a big organization. They have a lot of money. Uh, you know, Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, sure is a wealthy individual. What would stop them from saying, okay, Nike, we see your play. We're going to go build our own website. And matter of fact, the Redskins probably have their own team store where you can go online and you can buy your Washington Redskins gear right there. Okay, so is Nike taking it off their website? Does it really put financial pressure on them? Who knows, right? The only people who know that 
are the individuals involved with the team itself, and can they work around that? Oh, I'd imagine absolutely. And I would imagine you could actually increase your revenues because now you're not sharing that with the Nike store, and Nike's taking their cut from selling it on their store and then giving you essentially your licensing fee. Because, let's look at it, these trademarks are owned by the teams. Now, Actually, one thing that I'm thinking of as we're mentioning trademarks, uh, every time you register a trademark, there's a renewal that comes up. I believe it's uh, every five years the the renewal comes up. And I do believe, if memory serves me correctly, the last time the name change issue came up was when that trademark was up for renewal. And I believe the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, declined to renew the Washington Redskins logo. So I believe that the Redskins no longer, the the Redskins football entity owns the Redskins logo. So maybe you don't have a licensing issue where Nike would have to pay the Washington entity for the use of that logo and for selling their products. Okay. But deeper issue here, right back to another potential contract issue. Most likely there's a contract between Nike and the Washington Redskins that Nike will sell merchandise for the Washington Redskins. And in exchange for that, the Washington Redskins will get paid X amount of dollars for every sale or a percentage of every sale. There will be something in there where Washington is compensated for the sales that happen on Nike. Well, it's very plausible that Nike could be in breach of whatever contract this is. Now, look, I don't have the contract in front of me. This contract is probably super secretive that only the highest levels of the Washington Redskins entity and Nike have access to it. Okay, there's probably confidentiality clauses all around in it. So we're flying a little bit blind here, but we can make some assumptions based on general contracting. Now, generally speaking, if one entity uh, engages in a bad act that puts the other entity in a negative light, a lot of times you can void a contract, you can break a contract and get out of it, right? But we come right back to the same thing that we discussed with FedEx. Does Nike have a legitimate ability to say, hey, you know what, Red Washington Redskins, you're damaging our brand. You're damaging the Nike brand by keeping the name Washington Redskins. While Nike, you entered into a contract with the Washington Redskins. You knew the name before that. And quite honestly, you've been around long enough that you know that this name issue comes up every few years. And you know that Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, comes through every year or every time this comes up, the every few years, and says, I'm not changing the name. It's not happening. So Nike, you knew what you were getting into when you sign that contract with them to sell their gear. So are, are you now surprised that you, you are selling this gear with this name? I don't think you have the ability to do that. And I think it puts Nike potentially in a breach because Nike's agreement likely says that they have to put the gear and sell their gear. And, and there may even be a marketing provision where Nike has to market that gear for the sale of that gear. Right, And if they're not doing that, if they've literally pulled Washington Redskins from their site, which I did check just before the show today, and you go to, NF- you go to Nike.com and you look up all the NFL teams, it stops at the Tennessee Titans. Washington doesn't exist. So it's not even as if Nike has said, okay, we're just going to remove the, the moniker Redskins 
from the title because when you look at their website, they use the city and the team name, and then you can click on it and see all the gear, right? Nike's not saying, okay, we're going to put Washington and we're going to remove all of the gear that says either Redskins or has their logo or, hey, we're Nike and maybe Nike does some of the designs of the the apparel that's put out and not even saying, okay, well, we're just going to remove the word Redskins and we're just going to Washington football, right? Same color scheme, Washington football. Then I think you avoid a contract issue, but to simply stop selling and and remove it completely from your website, I think you could potentially see a website. Now we haven't, or not a website, uh, <laughs> we, we could potentially see a lawsuit out of this. Now we haven't heard of one, but I, I would imagine the ownership has a lot of other things going on and, you know, focusing on the team name and the change of it is probably number one on that list and dealing with any, what we call damages. So any money that the Redskins lose because of Nike removing it from their site, if there's a contract there, then they could actually sue Nike for whatever dollar amount of damages exists. Now, mentioned briefly about ownership. Ownership's taking a little bit of tumble as well, and it's it's kind of interesting. So there are minority owners of the Redskins, and by minority, we mean from a percentage standpoint, not from a, uh, a social standpoint. If you will, so there are there's a group of individuals who make up forty percent of the Washington Redskins ownership, and they are now looking to sell their shares in, in that team. Kind of an interesting time uh, for a lot of reasons, and you know, from a legal standpoint, from having drafted corporate entity documents and reviewing corporate entity documents, for the most part, uh, and I, I I can't say I've ever seen one that allows ownership to simply walk away, to simply go, okay, I'm out, I'm leaving, here's my shares back, that's it, we're done, wash your hands of it, and that's it. Usually there's something that has to happen. Usually there has to be some sort of, whether it's actual money changing hands or some sort of compensation, uh, but most of the times these contracts are written in the terms of if you just decide to leave, you can do so. However, you could be potentially liable for damages to the remaining owners, the remaining ownership shares uh, for your departure. So you can leave, but you're breaching the contract. And all of these things really come down to contracts, right? What do these contracts say? So whether or not FedEx can really put leverage on the Redskins, that is a contracting issue. Whether or not Nike does have the right to pull the Washington Redskins gear from their site and make it so that the team doesn't even exist. Contract issue. How the ownership leaving, the 40% ownership either leaving or getting bought out. Once again, contract issue and something to kind of look at and understand as we move through this and monitor what's going on. Uh, Something like this doesn't take place uh, really in in a whole lot of secrets. So it's something that we'll be able to track and maybe touch base on a a later podcast and and see what happens here and see what the outcome is here. So that all said, let's stay in the NFL. Okay, the NFL is giving us right now a lot of legal aspects to look at. And this next topic really ties into the coronavirus and what we're seeing here. So I primarily practice out of Hillsborough County, Tampa, Florida. Okay, and 
Most of our lawsuits are in Tampa. We do have some in Orange County, Manatee County, Sarasota County, uh, Orange County, for those of you not that familiar with this area, it would be Orlando. So that's that's where we have a lot of these things going on. And the state of Florida, and I'd have to go back and, and double check some of these things, but last I checked, the Supreme Court has said that there's an administrative order, meaning that it's not a law per se, it's that there's an order for the way the court system works. Okay, that's what an administrative order from the court is. It's just saying these are the rules that we're going to follow within the court. This is how we're going to do things. Jury trials have been suspended. They've been suspended for a long time. They were supposed to resume in July. Haven't seen an update as to whether or not they're going to extend that suspension of jury trials even longer. Honestly, I would really expect that that would be the case uh, because of the surging numbers here of coronavirus. You know, when when these things were enacted, Florida had very small number of cases, and now all of a sudden we have a very large number of cases. So I would anticipate the jury trials to get extended out and delayed even further. Now, the thing is, it's not just relating to jury trials. These concepts that the court has put in place for the most part, applies to depositions as well. And you know, when we look here in Hillsborough County, Hillsborough County doesn't want in-person hearings and they don't want in-person depositions. They're really pushing telephonic hearings and video hearings. Uh, and you know, we haven't had to look at that order in a whole lot of great detail to see what the exceptions are because all of our cases are such that telephonic and video conference hearings and depositions work just fine, okay? That doesn't have any impact on us from the auto accident cases from the civil side. But let's look at it from the criminal side. And what are we seeing here in Hillsborough County is we've had some clients, and Monique Scott in our office handles a lot of the criminal uh, criminal uh, cases in our office, and a lot of the arraignments. Now, arraignment is when you either plead guilty or not guilty. Most of the times you plead not guilty, and then you work with the state to try to figure out if there's a plea deal, and the attorney's researching and investigating and figuring out, okay, do we go to trial? Are you better off with a plea deal? What's your best case scenario in it? Okay, Those keep getting canceled and pushed back all right. Um, and the criminal side is different from the civil side. You, you have a lot more protections uh, on the criminal side. And one of those things is you have the right to face your accuser. Now, when we look at when these things were written, video conference didn't exist, telephone didn't exist, right? So there, there was no ambiguity as to the right to confront your accuser because you had to be in the same room as your accuser, right? If somebody's going to confront you, you had to be in the same place as them because you couldn't send them a telegram to confront them. You had to be right there with them. And where are we going with all this? Well, Antonio Brown is where we're going with all of this. And he has pending criminal case, and that pending criminal case may be affecting his ability to sign with an NFL team. Who knows? There's a, there's a lot of polarization, I would say, when it comes to Antonio Brown and playing football again. I know here in Tampa, the Bucks coach has said no. Uh, he he doesn't see Antonio Brown as a fit, although every couple weeks, story pops up that goes, hey, Antonio Brown to the Bucks. Could that be a thing? So kind of interesting as we look at that. But two sides of this thing. Antonio Brown's attorneys are saying, hey, we want to do, we want to do a deposition 
of the accuser, and we want it to be in person. We want an in-person deposition, face-to-face, right there, we're all in the same room. Now, the, the accuser, or the victim, if you will, is saying, well, no, I'm, I'm not comfortable with, with that because of the coronavirus. And so where does that stand in all that? But, you know, the victim has said, hey, guess what? I'll do a Zoom meeting with you. I'll do a Zoom deposition with you. So what does it really mean when we talk about the right to confront your accuser? And I know there's some case law. It comes up, you know, honestly, it has come up more when we're talking about child victims of crime. Uh, And a lot of times it's child victims of sexual crimes. And the ability for a defendant to influence the testimony of a child by being in the same room and where does that right to confront come in and where does the right of a victim come in and where is that where do those two lines meet and you know can a child be in a different room can you shield the child from the accuser in some way visually okay and still preserve the rights of the accused okay so in this instance we're we're probably from a court standpoint, from a legal standpoint, more concerned with preserving the rights of Antonio Brown, not because he's Antonio Brown, but because he's the accused. And our criminal justice system is primarily based on, we want to preserve the rights of the accused because we want to get it right. Now, look, history has told us that there's a lot of times that the system gets it wrong, okay? Uh, and, And that's probably a discussion for another day. As we said before, we're going to look at it like the Supreme Court. Uh, it's beyond the scope of what we're analyzing and reviewing today as to whether or not that ideal of uh, giving the accused as many rights as possible. So, yeah, like I said, the discussion for another day, but that's what we're looking at when we're looking at the confronting of an accuser. Now, I would say from my standpoint, doing a Zoom deposition is really no different than doing it in person in the same room. Are there differences? Yes, but the differences really are more of that there's a little delay. The depositions take a little bit longer. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to do it. But it, have I felt that any of my clients have been prejudiced by doing a Zoom deposition? No, absolutely not. Uh, the reality is you have your computer screen or if you have pop it up on a TV monitor, you have all the screens of everybody. You can you can make a court order say, hey, everybody has to be on video. Everybody has to be present. Everybody that would have been present in that room live has to be present on the Zoom. And I, I just don't see how you're limiting the rights of the accused. Like I said, in this case, Antonio Brown, I don't see how you're limiting his rights by doing it on a Zoom. Okay? So you do have a right. You have a right to confront your accuser. I do think based on what I've seen and having done, look, I've done Zoom mediations. I've done Zoom depositions. Okay. Do I love them? I, you know what? I kind of like them on some levels and I dislike them on others, right? I like that I can sit in my office. I don't have to go to a court reporter's office and sit in a, a stale conference room and do it. Okay. Do I dislike that slight disconnection of being physically with somebody? Yes, but do I think it changed the outcome of any of the questions? No, I don't, because I could look and I could see the person that I was deposing, the person who I was asking questions to. 
I could see their interactions. I could see their facial expressions. I could see nodding, shaking their head, all of those things. And all of those things are, are really what comes down to why you have the right to confront your accuser. You want to see how they interact. Some of the concept behind it is, is the person lying. And it's one thing to read words on a piece of paper, right? So let's say you had a telephone deposition and you could just hear the person. Well, hearing a person is one thing, okay? And it's really difficult, I think, to really make a determination as to the credibility of that person. Is that person telling the truth? You lose little cues in that sense. But I don't think when you're looking at somebody and you're deposing somebody in a video conference, I don't think you lose those. I think you can see them fidgeting. And I think you can see them looking away and shaking their head or putting their head down or any other little tells that you might be able to say, okay, maybe this person isn't telling the truth, okay? Or, hey, maybe that question made that person uncomfortable. So maybe I need to look into that particular topic and that particular issue just a little bit more, okay? So in my opinion, does the victim... Should the victim have the right to have her, his or her deposition? I, and honestly, I, I don't know the full facts of the case itself, okay, in the Antonio Brown, but does that victim have the right or should the victim be able to do their deposition via a Zoom deposition? I don't see it as a problem. I don't see that it impairs uh, Antonio Brown's lawyers in any way, shape, or form in providing a defense for him, okay? So the law fathers take... Zoom depositions should be good. Be interesting to see what the court has to say about it. And hey, depending on which way the court rules, uh, and quite honestly, quite frankly, either way the court rules, probably highly likely to get appealed. So it'll be interesting to see what the appellate court says. And if it goes even higher than that, be interesting to see what the Florida court system determines and if the Florida court system agrees with the law father on this topic. That said, you know, coronavirus is still around. Uh, we at the law firm are you know, taking precautions, but we are still chugging ahead at full steam here. So providing a service for all of our clients and uh, doing everything we can uh, to help everybody through this. So uh, if you ever have a legal question, feel free to reach out, 855-LAWFATHER. You can call or text that number, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. That's the email address that's dedicated to this show. Uh, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can always find us on social media. Uh, we pretty much live on there on a day-to-day basis. Uh, just search for at the Law Father. That'd be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. That is the show for today. Law Father out. This is an Ian Beckles flavor in your ear quick fix on Radio Influence. I don't give a shit if you're a Democrat or Republican. Wear a mask. Listen, everybody keeps on talking about their freedom. You know, you're supposed to wear a seatbelt for a reason. You're supposed to not go over a certain mile per hour for a reason. It's to it's to save you and others. And the mask's not about you. It's about other people. Talk about your freedoms. The people are dying, everybody, at a, at, a, at a drastic pace. And the people that are acknowledging or not acknowledging this thing obviously don't have anybody around them that's been affected because I have. And this is not a joke. When I'm sitting there watching television and I see a, a family 
or a couple that's been married for 52 years, both die simultaneously in a bed. This is not a joke. That's, that's, I mean, and I listened to their, their son talk about both, both his parents dying at the same time, who had an unbelievable life and met in, in high school. And this is what takes them out. Uh, people are taking this thing lightly. And I, I don't, it's just, it's not a joke anymore. And listen, for the youngsters to, to take it lightly, I understand that. If I was 25, I probably wouldn't give a shit either. But when I hear older people talk about, well, it's because Bill Gates and it's the Chinese, who gives a shit who was? And it doesn't matter why it's here. Well, let's handle it. Now it's here. Let's handle it. And let's handle it as grownups. Listen, eight members in Trump's, in Trump's camp, they come out positive. He still won't wear a mask. He, sa- he says it makes him look like the Lone Ranger. If he's not the dumbest some bitch out there, Lone Ranger wears masks obviously on his eyes, not his mouth. I don't I don't know. I don't know if he had a friend or watched television at any time in his world in his world. But our president, who's supposed to be our leader, and I'm doing air quotes right now, leaders are supposed to lead. And our leader is telling us not to wear a mask almost. You can find Ian Beckles Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.